Okay, Jim, can you hear me? Yes, I can. You hear me? Yeah, turn your volume up a little bit to speak. I'm going to mute you back. Marlo, can you hear me? Marlo, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Great. Sheila, can you hear me? You. Let me unmute you. Sheila, can you hear me? I can hear you. Good. Coming in loud and clear. We'll be ready to go in just a few minutes. If everybody has the background noise clear, then you can unmute so there won't be a delay with us picking each other up. Now, if you have background noise, then make sure you mute. Okay? You make that choice. All right. Good evening to another version of it. Dr. Cliff Burton, friend, featuring the absolute very best in women's athletics and HBCU sports. And truthfully, we give you a little bit more. Let's say hello to everyone this evening. We're getting started a little early. We have a lot to go over. Good stuff. Good stuff. We're going to start. Everybody can unmute. And I want to start, Jim. Unmute and tell everybody hello. Hello, 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 everybody. This good day of May. All right. Got to turn your volume up a little, Jim. You're coming in kind of kind of weak there. Marlo, Dr. Kemp, good evening. How you doing? I'm good. Good evening, everyone. Welcome, welcome. All righty. And we have back with us this evening. She's no stranger to our show. The CEO of For the Love LLC. Miss Sheila Townsend, how you doing? Good evening, everyone, and thank you for having me again on the show. Well, we are just thrilled that we got some big things to talk about. Big things, big things. All righty, so we're going to jump right in. We have a lot of women's action. Let's start with our Women of the Month. I believe we have two more weeks with her. I hope we've been <clears throat> reading up on her. Miss Diana Durham. She's the first African-American national gymnast. She was born June 17, 1968, and she died at age 52, February 4th, 2021. 
let's continue to pick up her career where we left off last week. At age 14, she was picked up by the famous Carolis from Romania to train her. And uh, they were the same group that trained Nadia Comaneci, if you remember her, with all those perfect tens back in the 80s. So this is what happened. In 1981, after winning the junior elite all-around title at the U.S. National Championships, she moved to Houston, Texas to be coached by Bila and Marta Caroli. She initially went for a tryout, but packed with no intention of returning. Tomasi encouraged the move, telling Dura's mother she was an Olympic caliber gymnast and needed elite facilities to realize her potential. One of the six initial gymnasts the Caroli selected for their training program Durham became their first elite gymnast in the United States. See, the Corollis had perfected from Romania in 1981, and they had trained the star of the 1976 Olympics in NASA's mm-hmm. none other than Nadia Comaneci. They faced their doubts about whether they could succeed outside Romania's state-supported program. Durham's success quickly made them a presence at major competitions again. Initially, Durham lived with the Carolis in Houston, then with a host family. Her mother joined her, but her father stayed in Gary, Indiana, so her sister could finish high school. Another chapter, and we'll continue next week, picking up where she began to win national titles in 1982. What do you think? I'm going to come with Dr. Kemp talking about Miss Diane Durham. What do you, Durham, what do you think, Dr. Kemp? Way to go, Diane. I just, I love listening to her and hearing about her story um, because it's like her family, of course, sacrificed, you know, a lot to get her where she was. And then for her to just, you know, fall into the hands of the Carolis, you know, such a um, perfect uh, set of coaches to train her and then to befriend, um, you know, Mary Lou Retton and a couple of other top gymnasts. And then for her to go on just to be a national champion, um, you know, who we we didn't really hear about a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you again, once again, brought her name to us in the forefront. I really appreciate it. And I'm just looking forward to hearing more about her for the next couple of weeks. All right. CEO Townsend, what do you think about Miss Diane Durham, Woman of the Month? Well, here's another little known black history fact and the hidden, not secrets, but just the hidden history of blacks in non-traditional sports. And we could see, I mean, we see the black gymnasts that we have coming up through the pipeline now, but imagine if we had had more visibility with someone like her earlier on, how many more um, uh, black gymnasts, both male and female, that we could potentially um, have seen. So I, as Dr. Kemp says, I so appreciate, I learned so much on this show and thank you for bringing her history to the forefront for so many who probably did not know about her before this podcast. All right. Jim, Miss Diane Durham, tell us what you think, Jim. Well, I think that she was a trendsetter, but I think the one thing 
Okay. Jim, you're going to have to try to turn your volume up or something. You're coming in very light if you can, if you can. All righty. We're going to move on. You're going to have to turn it up here for sure. Okay. We're going to have to move on. The glorious women of the year winner, none other than track superstar, Miss Shelly Ann Frazier Price from Jamaica. Yeah. Hey, she's been a star for a while. Um, I know she runs for a different country, but she started winning. We're going to give her a clap. Oh, yeah. Laureus Woman of the Year Award just received it. Shelly Ann Frazier Price has started running for her country and won her first gold medal in 2008. She is still competing and winning medals a decade and a half later in the sprints. She specializes, of course, in the 60 meters, 100 meters, and 200 meters. Now, we're just going to give you just a few things about her. <clears throat> Olympics, 2008, gold in the 100 meters. 2012, gold in the 100 meters. 2020, gold in the four by 100 meter relays. Mm. Then you go to the World Athletic, Athletic Championships. 2009, gold in Berlin, 100 meters. Four by 100 meters, gold, 2009. 2013, 100 meters, gold in Moscow. 200 meters, gold in Moscow, 2013. Gold in Moscow, four by 100, 2013. Beijing, 100 meters, gold. Four by 100 relay, 2015, gold. And they all went in 2019, 100 meters, gold in Doha. And then again, four by 100 meters, gold in Doha. I mean, she's, and then 2022. Now remember, her first gold in the Olympics was 2008. In 2022, last year, in Eugene, Oregon, she got 100 meters and she won the gold again. This is a fast race, so we're not talking about a distance. Uh, Jim, try to come in again. What do you think about Shelly Ann Frazier Price? Little louder, Jim. She did it well for a long period of time, which is unusual in these track seasons. Dr. Kemp, I'm gonna come to you. I can't hear Jim right now. Dr. Kemp. I mean, you kept talking about all this gold, 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 <laughs> and more gold. I mean, and it's what's crazy about it that it's like I've never, I mean, I haven't really heard of her. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like they always seem to, you know, like maybe um, highlight some of the other track stars. Um, uh, again, thanks for bringing her to the forefront, you know, for us, because this award, this award is what just given annually and it honors what just what uh, the victories in women in, of the year. And I believe it's in track and field. 
But yeah. yeah, she's one of the three Jamaicans who have dominated. But uh, she's been phenomenal for for quite a while in a sport that sprinters usually don't last that long. long. You know, yeah. Shakari Richardson's been trying to beat her recently and is getting close. But uh, Shelly Ann Fraser Price, she is the standard. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move yeah, on. I'm going to move on. And I'm going to come to you, Dr. Kemp. Nope, I'm going to come to you, Sheila, on this one. Recently, I love it, USC Track and Field. No, the track has been renamed in honor of the most decorated female Olympic athlete of our time, Allison Felix. The track at USC is now named the Allison Felix Track. And they didn't wait. They did it within one year of her retiring from track and field. And let me say this for all these fans. Most people, when they think of USC, they think of football mm -hmm. and the great running backs. But the team that has won the most national championships at USC are combined women and men, track and field, 31 of them. So it's the track and field that truly puts the University of Southern Cal on the map. Allison Felix. Sheila, what do you think? Well, I mean, what an honor for her school to recognize her and for what she has done even outside of mm -hmm. the track um, when Nike did not want to um, continue to endorse her or wanted her to reduce her endorsements because mm -hmm. she was expecting. And, you know, I commend her for standing her ground and saying, no, you are not going to discount me and my contributions to this sport because I'm a woman and because I have made the decision to start a family. Yes. And what better way for her to um, make her point than to have her own shoe and, and start her own line. And so her, her stance just went so much further and what she is representing as far as motherhood and though you have made a decision to start a family, that you still can pursue um, your 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 mission or your goal to continue or to be an elite athlete, and um, so her story um, has so many uh, lessons that females, both young and old, can take away. And so I am uh, really happy to see that her university has honored her. Yes, they stepped up, did it, and they didn't take long to do it. I applaud that president and the AD and everybody out there. University of Southern Cal, the Trojans, yes sir. All righty. Now, another story of triumph. And I think Ms. Townsend knows this story real well. 27-year-old Taylor Townsend, recently over in Rome, we're talking tennis now, now, normally, we'll talk the doubles first. Taylor Townsend 
has just moved up in the rankings from the number 10th ranked doubles player or doubles team to number six in the world. She's been on a comeback since 2020 and uh, she's doing it up. And then in the singles, uh, she was ranked 168th in the world and doing a tournament over in Rome, she knocked off Jessica Pagu, who was ranked number three in the world. So Taylor is uh, coming back also after motherhood. And, I, and I'll let you tell me, Mr. Townsend, tell us, tell us about this. Let's get her okay. first. <laughs> Great I, I just have one correction okay. from the introduction. Sure. And that correction is, is that Taylor has only come back in uh, 2022 oh. um, because um, in 2022 uh, uh, is when she had um, Aiden. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, um, she had a year to come back, I'm sorry, in 21 and she just came back on tour in 22 in the, towards the end of 22. And when she came back, um, she really didn't have a ranking. So she has been able to propel herself to this in less than a year's time. Mm -hmm. And um, all kudos to to her and to her coach and to to the commitment that they have that, that they have made. I mean, she has had a long journey and during her time you could see when she was on the tennis channel. So she has made a substantial physical change yes, yes um she has made a, a a monumental shift in her um approach to the game and i think that her being the analyst commentator for both men and women gave her an opportunity when she was uh you know pretty much sidelined gave her an opportunity to look at a, the game from a different perspective mm-hmm. and not from a player, but from a more analytical um, viewpoint. And I think that that has really helped her in her um, transition coming back. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been really entertaining to see this. And again, you know, her story, she has so many stories inside this journey um, that both young and old can take away lessons yeah. from yeah. from this. Uh, you know, one being young and old, the, the fortitude to keep going when things don't look as though you don't see a way out but just continuing to believe and and pushing forward. Um, Motherhood has made her um, as it will, 
make you think of things differently. It's not just about you. Now it's about um, someone else. And a mother always pretty much has her children's best interests ahead of her own. So um, as, as a mother, as, as a former player, as you know, someone who introduced my children to the game, it has been so gratifying for me to, to be able to sit and watch her journey and to see you know, the highs and the lows. I mean, the lows are no fun, but all of us uh, um, go down in the valley sometimes. But to see when you come out of it um, with the discipline and with the commitment and with the the vision, I mean, it's, it's so glorious to watch and to see that. And everybody, both male and female, young and old, can take away lessons from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take a one-minute break. Thank you so much, Ms. Townsend. We're going to take a one-minute commercial break, and then we're going to come right back. Cliff Burton, friends, yes, up. Welcome back, Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the very best in women's athletics and HBC sports. We want to welcome Alan Moody. We want to welcome Hall of Famer Renee Spencer from Fisk University with us tonight. I want to go through a few more things now. The transfer portal, we talked about, and Jim's going to talk a little later on, how it's affecting men. But the women's transfer portal has already created the potential of a super team. None other, you knew Kim Mulkey would find the way. She already did. She won the national championship, but already in the transfer portal, she picked up Haley Van Lip, a star from Louisville, averages 20 points a guard. And now she's also picked up a second player, 6'1", Morrow. Now, Morrow is, um, was the Big East freshman of the year. She played for uh, DePaul. She's averaging... 25.7 points and 12.2 rebounds a game. And she's just a sophomore. So maybe LSU snuck up on people this past year. But when you put those two with Flage Johnson and Angel Reese, we're looking at a super team. Is the transfer portal, question y'all, do you think the transfer portal is going to start creating an imbalance in college girls and women's basketball? when we really want parity so long, it was just Connecticut and Tennessee. And now we're starting to see parity. Do you think that the transfer portal can tend to shift us now back to having those two or three 
super teams. What do you think? Marlo? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it probably will because, you know, the players are now giving having the chance to, you know, kind of go where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Instead of being waiting to be recruited, you know, to a certain um, university, so, you know, now it's like they're putting the choice in their own hands um, just to decide to see, you know, how can we build a power team? And as you said, um, LSU has um, has shown us this year um, that this is what's going on. So we, we shall see. We mm-hmm. definitely will see um, in the upcoming uh, uh, next season. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, uh, South Carolina, their team, Iowa, you know, all of the all of the teams that were, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, down in the final four, or um, you know, just kind of like what their the makeup of their teams now. It's gonna be really interesting, exciting, very exciting. Jim, come on in and give me your opinion. Let's see if we can hear you, because I know you keep up with the portal on the men's side, but also, do you think it's gonna create super super teams on the women's side and create an imbalance, this transfer portal? Yes, I think it will because they are over a thousand women in the transfer portal as of now. I think you have conferences such as the OVC, uh, Mid-American, mid-major conferences where a player have a good year and then look to get to a power five conference. So I think it's going to create even more of an imbalance. And you'll have some girls that lose out because there are not enough scholarships to go around. Mm. Wow. Well, we'll have to keep up with this, Jim. But this is, uh, we'll just have to keep up. I don't think it's good for the women to go back to having two teams or just three. I think the parity that's been created is what led to that nine or 10 10 million viewership of the NCAA championship this year. But we'll hold on and we'll see. Now, follow up. Last week, we talked about uh, graduation success rates, uh, academic progress reports, and we talked a lot about the men. We'll have a little bit more on them. But right now, there's a couple of women's teams we want to talk about, and they keep up with the graduation success rate. Let's go HBCU in the MEAC. Women's hoop, hoop teams, okay? These schools, Florida and m Maryland Eastern Shore, Bethune-Cookman, and Coppin State all finished this year with a 92% or better graduation rate. That means they had seniors who had been there five years or less, and they finished their degree. So they are to be yep you got it applauded yeah dr bird um i just want to add in too um definitely florida a m because that's one of the the, one of the things that they are definitely known for in terms of their graduation rates um you know with their student athletes well let's see other schools but um i'm excited for them so congratulations to them and as well as all the other schools All right. Oh, yeah. 
We'll continue on with the show. A little technical difficulty. Okay, now we're looking at the HBCU graduation rate for females. And again, Alabama State, the lone SWAT Southwestern Athletic Women's Hoop Program to achieve a graduation rate of 94% of its students' athletes. That's in the SWAT conference. The two lowest spots in the country also came from the SWAT conference. Southern University only had 47% of its women's basketball team graduate that had been there. Grambling State only had 44% of eligible women who had been there five years to graduate. Okay. In women's hoops, Morgan State. 58% of women who had been there five years graduated and Hampton, 67%. So we're just giving an outlook, giving you the outlook of women's sports, okay? Or women's graduation success rates, okay? So <clears throat> here you have it. James, we're going to need you to come back in, sign back in because of the technical difficulty that, that we had. All righty? All righty. Now, one more thing. One more thing we want to talk about, and that's the situation in Madrid. And I'm going to ask Ms. Townsend and Jim to come on back in. We had a little typical technical difficulty. So you can come on back in on the co-host speaker side. There you go, Jim. And Sheila's coming. Very good. The situation that happened in Madrid, Spain, tennis, just a few weeks ago, where the women's doubles champion, I know Coco Golf is one of those members, they won their match, but weren't allowed to speak after their match, as opposed to the men's doubles, the men's singles, they did let the singles women's champions speak. Now, that tournament has issued an apology to them. But what do you think about that? I'm going to come to uh, Jim, and then I'm going to come to Ms. Townsend. Jim, what do you think about that in Madrid, Spain? Well, did they ever say why it happened? They just said they made, made a mistake and apologized. They never said why. I'll let you speak to that. Ms. Townsend, what do you think? Um, I don't know if that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the cynicism in, in me. <laughs> um, it has never been done. I mean, from the absolute lowest level professional tournament to the Grand Slams, the champion and the runner-ups always get to speak mm -hmm. at every tournament. So for this snafu and them just to um, issue an apology with no explanation, mm -hmm. 
you know, for me, that's unacceptable. But what are you going to do? But I, I'm I'm going to spin off a little bit just from Madrid um, and say that, you know, tennis is still a very um, white sport mm-hmm. with a lot of the traditional um, ideologies that uh, used to surround the game. And as we know, um, the game is now seeing more and more people of color. And just um, at Rome, when Taylor um, beat Jessica, who um, is the number three player in the world, she received uh, um, little death threats. So, and, and sadly, this is not the first time that she has had to endure something like this as she has progressed through the sport. I mean, she had to, um, not she had to, but she also received the same kind of um, deadly threats through social media when she was a junior and when she was number one in the world. Now, now, um, whereas before when she was number one, when she was a junior, um, it wasn't legal for betting on tennis. Now it is. Um, Personally, you know, I think that whatever coward issue that grotesque um, message to her probably lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, these are the things, and she's not the only player who has encountered this kind of venom. Mm-hmm. There have been Muslim players who have also had these kinds of um messages posted about them and what what violence they were going to perpetuate on them. Um, some of the, the black male players on tour. Um, but it only seems as though these things tend to surface when those players begin to start making advances in the game that in parentheses or quotation marks, they don't feel that they should be making. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But here it is in 2023. And, um, you know, this is still something that these players are dealing with when Arthur Ashe, I mean, it is, you know, somewhat better. I'm not going to say it's just as bad. I mean, because there have been advancements as far as some things, but in other areas, it's still very much the same. Right. We're going to keep up. We're going to keep up. We're going to keep up. We do have to go to commercial break. We do have to go to commercial And then we're going to come right back with just a little bit WNBA. And I'm going to turn it over to Jim because the WNBA season is starting May 19th. We'll be right back.
just a little bit here. The WNBA is going to start 12 teams. And, uh, of course, we always start our season with the power rankings. And we have our top 10, uh, our top 12 teams ranked. We won't go over the night. But the first two that they already matched up in the preseason, number one ranked this season coming off of the 16 and 20 season is the New York Liberty. Now, the reason they rank so high, their roster's not the same. They traded and they received the 2021 WNBA MVP, John Quill Jones. And then they went out and they signed two-time champion, Brianna Stewart, and the WNBA assist leader in Courtney Vandersloot. So you put that with Sabrina Ionescu, and uh, this New York Liberty team is going to be something to deal with. They are considered to be the team in the Eastern Conference. And then returning the number two power team, the returning champions, the Las Vegas Aces. Now, they finished last year 26-10, and they finished with a championship, but uh, they didn't sit on their laurels at all. They picked up Cam Parker, experienced a champion herself, and you add her with uh, Wilson, and, uh, well, we just know what the rest of them could do. And so they're looking for them to repeat but Liberty is going to make some noise. And then number three, we'll just go over three of them tonight, the Washington Mystics. They're letting everybody look at the uh, Liberty and the Ace. But they return, of course, Elena Deladani. And if her back holds out, you know she's still a superb player. Ariel Atkins and Natasha Clapp. And then last year's number three draft pick, and she's improved leaps and bounds last year. And that's the big one in the middle, Shakira Austin. And we look for her to even be better this year. So they were 22 and 14. And the Mystics said, you all can ignore us if you want to. All righty? You can ignore us if you want to. But that is the um, outlook, the initial outlook that gets started. Eight teams play on Friday night. The other four teams play on Saturday. The season has gotten underway for the WNBA. And also, we can't leave this out. It's amazing that when she was locked up in Russia, everybody talked about it. But Brittany Griner is about to return to the WNBA. She's already played her uh, first preseason game, had 10 points in 17 minutes, and she said it was a little, little more difficult than she thought. But we just been praying and now she's back in the WNBA. Miss Brittany Griner. We're so happy for her. So happy for her. Yeah. Yeah, Marla, what do you think? Did you think this would happen a year ago? Brittany Griner. So, no, I did not think that she, would, think that she would be back so soon playing, but man, I'm so glad that she is back here. Um, playing in the WNBA um, is, you know, just bring a lot more excitement, you know, to the game just to see, you know, um, how she does and just her whole mental status, you know, and as well as physical, um, you know, status. And it's just, I didn't, I just didn't hear a lot of fanfare about her or even the WNBA actually starting up. You know, it's like if we didn't, you know, follow 
ourselves i mean i didn't really see a whole lot of fanfare about it but um i'm excited to see them play um and you know just waiting to see you know what they'll do i can't wait for the liberties to you know hopefully they'll show out this year so um especially with their powerhouse team so good for them yeah and jim i'm gonna let you get your opinion there you could take it straight into the men's segment if you remember jim uh it was about a year ago february 24th when you and i started the women's segment on our Jones show and Brittany grinder was our number one story it was one week after she was arrested. And, and here we are, giving ready to announce the season. So Jim, uh, give us your thoughts and then take us straight into the men's sport, okay? Go ahead, Jim. Well, I know my New York friends, Marlo and Chris, were not allowed to hear this, but do you think that the uh, New York team is a little bit overhyped because they are in New York? No, no, I think they're for real. Okay. And I think the one player that was given trouble, I think they kind of traded her to Seattle. Oh, yeah. So I'm expecting things. That might be my plan. Now, in terms of men's sports, we have something this year called the HBCU World Series, which pitted Division Two, four Division Two teams against four NIH and they were ranked Albany State, Savannah State, Bluefield State, and Edward Waters for Division II. Russ, Wiley, Kane, and Florida Memorial for the NAIA series. And as luck would have it, Florida Memorial defeated Albany State in 19 innings. The first HBCU World Series. So, give him a hand. Give him a hand. For the second year in a row, won the PGA Work Cell Golf Championship. And your North Carolina AT came in second, and Sam Yu came in third. We have a couple of championships that, that, are, that are lesser known, but I'm glad that we hear about them golf and then uh, baseball. Division mm-hmm. one, men's baseball is still going because their tournament won't start until June. But in the SWAC, uh, Alabama State is 24 and 3, Bethune Cookman 18 and 8, Sam U 18 and 10. Jackson State, 12-15, Missouri Valley State, 6-20, and Alabama A&M, 2-23, Western Division, Grambling State is 20-6, Texas Southern is 29-19, Southern is 14-10, Prairie View A&M, 14-12, Arkansas Pine Bluff, 10-17, and Alcorn State, 
727. We had Players of the Week. Southern's O'Neill Burgos was at five runs on five hits, three home runs over the weekend. And Pitcher of the Week was Nolan Santos of FAMU at seven innings with three hits and 12 Ks. In the SWAC, Alabama State won the track title. All right. Jim, Jim, didn't Alabama State also win the indoor? Yes. So they won them both. Good for them. Good for them. All right. Yeah. And we're down to our final four, which is the Lakers and Denver and Miami and the one that Miami and Boston. Celtics. Which actually was the final four during the bubble. Okay. Those four teams. Boston down 3-2. Jason Tatum had a hot fourth quarter in game six and a hot game in game seven to pull the Celtics over the over the uh, Sixers. Mm-hmm. In the uh, Western Conference, I think the Phoenix Suns were defeated by Denver, and that ultimately cost their coach his job. Mm-hmm. Lakers defeated the defending champions, Golden State, four to two. Anthony Davis basically showed up in all, all the games and it made a huge difference. And he would be key for them to be de- to defeat Denver. Mm-hmm. So I think we're gonna have a, a, a this final four here is gonna be real exciting. And we also have the uh, draft lottery order is tomorrow before game one of the Western Conference. Okay. I had a few questions, Jim. Do you think the Golden State dynasty is over? Yes. It lasted longer than expected. And then last year they came in and won the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thompson is said to be asking for a max contract next year. And Clay is a great player, a Hall of Famer, but he is not of that stature right now. Mm-hmm. And just age. You know, all championship teams playing 100 games a year you know, age more and tend to uh, fade out. So, I mean, they've had a good run, four, four championships. For about eight years, so you, you can't ask much more better than that. All right, all right, Jim. Let me move on to a different team with you. Phoenix, and they got rid of Monty Williams. 
However, when they brought Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant in, he uh, they emptied out most of the bench, so they had him and Kurt. Do you think they almost set the culture up for Fanning because they have no debt after KD and Booker and this uh, the center there? I hear his name, but uh, Chris Paul. Well, do you think that that ownership or the GM almost like set the coach up for failure by giving away the whole team to get Durant there? Look at it this way, Cliff. That's the second coach that Kevin Durant has gotten fired this year. Being uh, Steve Nash with Brooklyn. But having said that, they actually played better in games three and four without Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Another factor that you've had to deal with over this offseason. DeAndre Ayton said he did not get along with the coach, wanted to go elsewhere, but they sent an implicit contract. He kind of like a dog against Jokic. Another reason the coach <coughs> I honestly don't think that uh, Monty Williams had a lot of blame in there. He had a lack of depth. Two of his players were hurt. But that's how it is. I mean, you've got Mike Budenholzer fired. Uh, coach up in Toronto fired. Doc Rivers is in real hot yep. water. Yeah. Okay. Let's come on over to the East, Jim. Let me ask you this. Um, they say James Harden may be going back to Houston. Have you heard that rumor? I've heard it, but, you know, Houston has a lot of cap room, but why would they sign him with all those young players they have? Mm. Well, I, I guess the whole irony of this season, who would have thought that this time of year, Monty Williams would be out of a job and the coach at Boston, a former coach who got in that trouble with the affair, is now hired in the NBA at Houston. Who would have thought that at the beginning of the year, huh? What was the coach's name, Jim, who's down in Houston now? Yeah. Who would have thought we'd be here this time of year, huh? Game five, there was talk that Joe Mazzula up at Boston would be fired. Mm. Mm. Know, I think they're pulling the trigger a little early on these guys. Because <clears throat> mm. I know Budenholzer, I know uh, Monty Williams, and the coach up in Toronto will all have jobs this year, I feel. Mm. Yeah. I think Monty's owed $21 million. If he doesn't like anything out there, he can sit back, collect a TV contract, and all of his $21 million. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But, you know, all right. Jim, let's take a quick right now. Yeah. Okay. Take a quick break. We'll come back. Let's talk about some uh, transfer portal updates and then part two. 
HBCU men's graduation rates. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Cliff Burton Friends, representing the very best in women's athletics and HBCU sports. I'm going to ask all of our listeners, if you could turn up your volume and your computer. We're having a little trouble hearing Jim, and I did that on my computer. We were able to get him. Jim, let's come on back. Transfer portals. Let's go. regarded as the number one transfer portal player has signed with Kansas. Okay. Caleb Love, the number two transfer portal player, has signed with Michigan. As I said last week, there are 1,400 players in the transfer portal for men's basketball. Wow. Wow. And I think a lot of teams are, instead of dealing with uh, freshmen, are going out and getting some uh, juniors and seniors in the transfer portal. And I think, you know, if you have a good year in the MAC, Mid-American, Colonial, you're looking to move up to a Power 5 conference in four years. So I think it might, unfortunately, do in a lot of our mid, mid, uh, mid-range conferences because those players are looking to transfer to get to the bigger conference. Jim, we talked about how tough it is for high school players to get a scholarship because all the coaches are looking at the transfer portal. But also, how much tougher is it for junior college players? You know, that's the route that ball players used to go, Jimmy Butler started in a junior college and then earned his way to a major college with the transfer portal has that also made it even more difficult say a young kid comes out and he's not quite ready academically and he goes to a junior college larry johnson years ago unlv panned out perfect playing the nba but he started at a junior college so what is this doing for the junior college route that some players take because of grades, because they didn't have an offer that they wanted. So they looked to go the junior college route, play there for a year or two, and move on. Mm-hmm. That's still to extend, if you that if you that player, like a Larry Johnson or a Jimmy Butler, you would get a chance to move up. But again, a lot of our players are probably having to be looked at even harder because of the transfer portal. Mm. And there are a lot of unintended consequences from that transfer that I don't think anyone could foresee when it first started. Mm. Do you think they'll reverse some of this in the future? 
remember talking about well, there's one football player. I think he's transferred three times. Wow. I think they're starting to limit. He's played for four schools. I think they started mm-hmm. to limit that portal to only one time. So hopefully people are going to take that option seriously. Let's get Dr. Kemp. Dr. Kemp, and then we're going to come to Sheila. Your thoughts on the portal. Dr. Kemp? Yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, how many times can you actually transfer, you know, um, through the portal? And, you know, how often? Because... <laughs> Like you said, Dr. Bird, it's just like it seemed like it's cutting out the chances for other students, student athletes, you know, to, um, you know, have their chance to be to be chosen, to be seen, you know, by um, several different coaches. It seems like the coaches are only um, looking at, you know, um, specific players, um, you know, that they, of course, can can get to help, you know, build up their teams. But. As you said, where does that leave, you know, the other student athletes? Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see what will eventually happen, even after, you know, even after this year. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Ms. Townsend, Sheila, what do you think? Got on mic. Got on mic. I, I've been hearing um, clamors even through the high schools where I am about the the portals. And I think them really understanding all of the nuances that go along with it. Um, and as some of the issues have come up, understanding how this may be um, infringing upon their opportunities, as, as Dr. Kemp said, to be seen. I mean, you have to really be uh, a standout for them to, um, for some of these schools to see you because of of the uh, transfer portal. So, um, you know, that's one thing in the in the tennis arena. I, I have not experienced that as of yet, but with all of the changes that are coming down, I mean, I could see that potentially being something that that they'll have to look at in the future too. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. All righty. All righty. All righty. We have one more story. One more story. Um, I want to get the story in. Story in. Take the echo out of here. Echo. Okay. Okay. And and Pamela Denise McGee. You remember Pam and Paula McGee? They used to play basketball for USC with Shirley. Yeah. Yeah. She made history. She had a son who played in the NBA and is a champion, JaVale. But she also has had a daughter who played in the WNBA. And I don't have her name on the tip of my tongue, but she is the first woman to play in the WNBA that has a child who played in the WNBA and the NBA. And she has made history, and that has become known. For some reason, I picked up the story this week. So we definitely applaud Pamela Gate for doing well. And also, she 
one goal in the Olympics, and her son, Javel, played on a team that won gold. So she made history that way, too. So we want to congratulate Pamela McGee. She played for USC back in the day. Big time. Big time. What's your thoughts on that? We're going to come to Jim. If you remember, Pam McGee. Well, that's great to hear that she is a uh, NCAA champion with Cheryl Miller. Son won an NBA championship, and, a bo- and they both won gold medals. And daughter plays in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Chill. I can't hear you, Cliff. Yeah, what's your thoughts? Yeah, what's your thoughts on the McGee, Pamela McGee? She's the first woman to play in the WNBA. She's also a Hall of Famer. Her son played in the NBA, JaVale. He's a champion, a three-time champion. And her daughter played in the WNBA, so she made history. The first one to have in both leagues. Well, that that is not something that is um, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. And, and truly, that is something that has, I don't want to say groomed, but when you are usually an elite athlete like that and your children grow up seeing you, you know, they tend to go in that direction and, and participate in that sport. But for two of her children in two separate leagues to reach that status level, that that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, having one is, is big enough, but two in two separate professional leagues, so yeah. kudos to her and she and her family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. McGee. It's a twin, too. Pam McGee. Pam. They played back in the day together at USC. So, again, Pam and Paula, that's who they were. Marlo, you always got yeah. the last last call. What do you think about the McGee? Yeah, I love the McGee twins with Cheryl Miller. For back. Those are some players that definitely love to watch. Her daughter' name is Amani Stafford. Yeah, Amani McGee Stafford. So way to go, Amani and Pam and the entire family. Because um, as Sheila said, that uh, you know that that's that's not easy to do, especially when you're supporting both of your kids um, in two different um, areas. So th- I think that's awesome, and she definitely have led the way for them. So congratulations to the entire family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank everybody for coming on the show tonight and listening in. We also want to let our listening audience know that we're hitting some milestones and we want you and we appreciate you for continuing to spread the word about our show. We started November 27th and we are on 399 downloads. So I think after the night, Go over 400 downloads, and we want to keep that going. Spread the word. We want to continue to pick up followers as we go along. And um, if you want to hear some more sports, you can listen to a parent company. The show was birthed out of there, Mark Jones and Friends, 9, 10 a.m. It's on the Superstation and WFDF. They have Jim. He does double duty. Mark Jones, he's been on our show before. Reggie, Jack, Luther, and Carl. And I stop by every now and then. And then we look forward. Next week, 
We'll be back. But before I say it, let me remind you, June 5th, we're going to have legendary coach Dave Robbins from Virginia Union. Won 80% of his games in 30 years, 13 CIAA titles. He's going to be with us, so spread the word. Now, we will see everyone back in 168 hours from now. Thank you, Sheila, CEO, for the love, LLC, Dr. Kim, Jim, all of our listening audience. We'll see you back in about one week. Thank you so much, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everyone.